Cowboys supporter. I think there's a game on tonight, somebody told me, <laughs> might be interesting. Um, but anyway, nice to be here. A couple of things before we get going. Um, big camp coming up, just across the way. Uh, one of the big features, I think, for me, apart from the speakers and the spiritual stuff, but we've got Josh, Josh Cunningham coming to do a concert on the first Saturday night. Anyone know who Josh Cunningham is? Cool. One person, that's good. I was going to say he's really famous. <laughs> um, has anyone heard of the Waifs? You guys are a dead lot. What's wrong with you? You've got to have listened to the Waifs, surely. Some, you know, like, they won ARIA awards and everything. Anyway, Josh is the guitarist, songwriter, whatever, with the Waifs, and he's an Adventist, as it turns, as, as it so happens. And it's a funny thing because if you are out in the community and you talked about our celebrity um, musicians, typically everyone would be going, nah, no idea. Who, who the heck are they, sort of thing. But um, my wife Ray in Townsville, the wives were coming to do a concert and Josh rang up and said, hey, coming to do a concert on Saturday night. If you want us to do something in church on uh, fr Friday night or during church, whatever, let us know. And Ray said to her work colleagues, guess what, Josh Cunningham's coming to, and he's, you know, we're, we're having lunch with him, and, we're, and they're like, you're joking, Josh Cunningham. Oh. Anyway, does that make you feel better? <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is be there. All right, it'll be good, it'll be good. Uh, a little bit of a presidential thing, I'm going to get into a message in a minute, but I've got a, a little quiz just to talk a little bit about Adventism around the world and around this conference. How many Adventists are there right around the world? Quiz time, I've got A, B, C and D and you get a prize. <laughs> it's a pen. And it, on it it's got Seventh-day Adventist Church, South Queensland Conference. How many Adventists are there? 6 million, 19 million, 14 million or 21 million? Come and get your pen, you're right, 19 million. Awesome. Actually, you, you get a choice, you get a choice. They all write black, but they're different colours. Oh, you go for the gold one, whoa, straight to the top. All right, there, there you go now, a little bit closer to home. How many Adventists are there in Australia? And you have 24,000, 92,000, 60,000, and 73,000. Simon, be quiet. <laughs> no, you can answer, except I was going to go for the kids first. You're just guessing, aren't you? Yeah, you're a good guess. Come and get your pen. <laughs> Come and get a pen. All right. You won. You won. How many Adventists are there in South Queensland? So South Queensland goes from the, the, the border, New South Wales border, right up to Rockhampton, Yapoon and across the state. How many Adventists are there in that whole paddock? A, 12 and a half, B, 9, 15, 500, 2,600. Did you say eight? Oh, you said A, you are right. Well, you guys are onto it. You have not got one answer wrong yet. <coughs> okay, how many churches are there in this conference? 
72. <laughs> you, you, you need to wait for me to get, the, get them up there. 68, 146, 107, 94. 72 is wrong. <laughs> Doesn't figure. Come on, how many are there? We count refresh as one of those. 94, you're a pessimist. I shouldn't have said, oh, no, no, it's all good. There's two other options. <laughs> 107. 107 it is. Jason, you're the man. Well, I did hear it from over here as well. Who was that? Do you want a pen? <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> These pens are in high demand today, I tell you. They're fantastic pens too. Cost all of them about 60 cents, I think. Anyway, all right, so we're going to have big camp over here in starting next Friday night. And the question is, how many people will be there, will be there at South Queensland big camp? And let's have a look at the... Yeah, that's the answer. I don't actually have a clue. So, so you might be able to tell me, because this is my first time at the camp here, and I don't actually even have any idea... And everyone's sort of been threatening me, oh, big camp coming up, big camp, you know, you're going to be busy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, whatever, it's all good. <laughs> so how many are there? I've got one pen to go and I don't know what the right answer is. Who wants it? <laughs> lots. Okay, let's, let's go with lots. Um, all right. Now, Murray told me, I'm going to get into my talk thingy. That was my little presidential thing. I've got to do something along those lines. I feel like I have to anyway. Um, so now we're going to just get into the message. And Murray told me that you've been doing a series and it's called Breathing Space. And I'm not 100% sure on what has been talked about in the past. So it's a bit of a hazard for me to kind of launch into this un unknowingly, not knowing what has come before me. Except I think you talked about worry and finances and maybe anyone else remember? Okay. Need a refresher. So I'm gonna, I thought I, I would connect it in some way to that and um, talk about breathing space a little bit and essentially talk about breathing space spiritually. Does that make sense? So, recently I read this book. And, and I love the title of the book. The title of the book, uh, it made me buy it, but it al almost made me not need to read it. The title just said it all. And the title of the book was Stuffocation. Not suffocation, but stuffocation. And you know already, I think, as some of you are nodding, probably not because you have you read the book? No, you haven't, haven't read it. But you know what that means that we are drowning in stuff. That's what the book's about. It's about this materialistic world we live in and the fact that we are actually drowning in stuff. And the idea was, uh, at least materialism wanted to tell us that if we had more stuff, we would be happier. And this book, written by a sociologist, uh, social commentator, says we've got that much stuff that we're suffocating and we got no breathing space at all and the premise of the book is say if you get rid of some of your stuff simplify life minimalize things come up for some breath 
a breath of fresh air, get some breathing space. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you whether you think you've got too much stuff or not. I know I have. I've got, I've got so much. You know, as a matter of fact, when we, we moved from Townsville down to Brisbane, and we live on the south side um, down there, and we have got boxes in the shed there still today. We've been in there for eight months now, roughly. We've got stuff in the shed there that we still haven't unpacked. Now, that, that's kind of a sad thing, but the story doesn't end there. Guess what? When we moved from Willembar to Townsville about four years ago, we didn't unpack those boxes then. And so there they were sitting in the shed for like four years, and now we're down here, and they're still sitting in the shed, and it's like, when I, when I have a look in them, my, my wife's a bit more ruthless than I am, but I look in the look in the thing and oh I can't get rid of that and I couldn't possibly get rid of that and she's like chuck it out and I no my grandmother's uncle's auntie gave it to me or knitted it or something and you're never going to use it but it's all this stuff and so the book is saying maybe if you got rid of your stuff and and what it's saying is is materialistically um, our society drives us to keep buying this stuff and it actually makes us more stressed and it makes us eventually He says, somewhat depressed. So, minimalise, declutter, downsize, get rid of some stuff and you'll have some breathing space. How many of you find that that happens in your head? You get all this stuff in your head and it just becomes one big cluttered mess and you feel like, I've got to get rid of some of this stuff. Um, that's, That's the way I... It happens for me. Um, This is what this guy says. In today's culture, this is a quote from the book, in today's culture, material goods have become substitutes for deep and genuinely meaningful human desires and questions. Consumer culture has become a sort of pseudo-religion. Instead of pondering meaningful questions like, why am I here? What happens after death? How should I live? It's easier to focus on questions like the blue one or the red one. Will that go with the top I bought last week? And what will she think if I buy that? Which, by the way, the last question is a very good one. I just might throw that in, seeing as my wife's here. What will she think? That's that's what's happening to us. And so the meaningful things in life get consumed, if you like, by our consumer culture, and we, we kind of forget the real deep and meaningful discussions. Um, and I think when that starts happening mentally, we have to declutter, get rid of some junk. Sometimes we call it worry. That's the clutter, that's the junk in our head that we have to get rid of. And uh, it's easier said than done. But one of the things that the Bible tells us And the Bible says a couple of really strange things, quite bizarre things, actually. I'm going to throw throw one of them up on the screen here now. It says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Woohoo, we're going to a funeral tonight. Yay, can't wait. You never hear that, do you? 
So what's it actually saying? Why is it so, you know, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties? You know, parties are great, they're fun, they're lot, you know. What do you think the Bible is telling us that for? And, and you, you come to the next bit. After all, everyone dies and so the living should take this to heart. There's a lot more that happens in a deep and meaningful way at a funeral than there does at a party. And, and the wise man who wrote this, it's called wisdom literature in scripture, it's the wise man who wrote this is saying, you know what, it's coming to all of you and it's probably a good idea to think about it now. And the reason he says that is because when you think about it now, you will, what you think about death changes the way you live in life and that's just... Uh, a fact of things. It is. I can, I can illustrate it for you. Before we do, the psalmist says things like this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is fleeing away. And I want you all to read the bit in bold now, after me or with me. Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright. One of the translations says, count your days. Now, when you're young, you don't, you don't even consider that, but when you get to my age, it's not like I'm ancient or anything, or perhaps I am in comparison, it's all relative, isn't it? But you start to think, you know what, I've only got, I don't know, maybe 15 more years of work, and then what am I going to do? And so you're starting to number your days but, but you start to, to think about how that should impact on how I live my life. I've, I've done some, some funerals in my time and sometimes, uh, you know, I, I remember some really nasty ones. Nasty is kind of a, not a word you'd like to use at funerals but it was nasty. It was nasty because, you know, I've been there, this particular one I'm thinking about, I, I didn't actually know the guy, there's the coffin, never met him, never seen him, there he is, 28, um, and you could cut the air with a knife, honestly. It, people were staring daggers at each other. It was, and, and here am I, new, on the, new on, the, on the scene, so to speak, and people sitting over this side were glaring at these over here and they had no real connection with the church but one of them used to be an Adventist. That's all it was. And this guy, there he is in the coffin and these people are blaming those people, those people are blaming them, he's blaming her, she's blaming him that he's there and not alive. He, he hung himself, um, you know, now mental health is a complex thing, tragic thing, but they were blaming everyone and, and everyone was just this cloud of regret. That's the best I can say about it. A cloud of regret hanging over the room because they hadn't considered these things that, that God is saying, number your days. In other words, what is that saying? It's saying, get your priorities right. 
Know that this is something that's coming to all of us. Number your days that you may gain a heart of wisdom. What, how would you live now if you knew that that was coming? Which is kind of a... It seems a dumb question to ask because when we all think about it, we all know that that's coming sooner or later. I went to, to this is kind of getting a real gloomy sermon, isn't it? I'll try and, I'll try and lighten the atmosphere in a minute. But I, I had this other guy, right? He's, this is an old guy now and he's not in the box yet but he's on his way and he knows it. And so I visit him in hospital. He's a Salvation Army guy. I actually got to baptise him and stuff. He became an Adventist and whatever. He's just a lovely guy, lovely family. His wife wasn't there. In, she was around but he was on his own in the hospital bed. And, and you know, you get chatting and, and because, you know, you're the pastoral thing. And you know, so they asked some interesting questions and we got into some discussion, into some really deep and meaningful. Not, should I have the blue one or the red one? It's too late for that. Does that top go with that pair of shoes? It's, so he's, I, I asked him, I said, um, Stan, how was his name? Stan... There's two questions I always like to ask if the opportunity ar arises and, and they're at that point. Are you okay with God? It's number one and we talked about that. Are you okay with... That was question number one. The second one was, are you okay with everyone else? And he felt like he was okay with God and he was at peace with God and he felt okay about that. But when I said, is, is, are you okay with everyone else? And he was, he was lying in bed there in the hospital and he looks at me and he, you know, tears come to his eyes and he says, you know what, not, no, I'm not. And I don't want to go. I need to see my daughter. And I never, I never asked him, he never told me, I didn't, I, it was none of my business and he didn't want to go there and I said, it's been a while, has it? And he said, yeah, it's been about, I think he said 15 years. It was a good, good, good time, a long time. And I, I said, well, I'll get in touch with her. I knew how I could, I didn't have, know her from whatever, but I, I knew how I could track it down. I said, I'll get in touch. And he said, could you please? She was living about four hours away and... She jumped in the jumped in the car. I don't know why it's kind of having an impact on me now, but it's a, she drove up there. I wasn't I wasn't there. She went in, spent some time with him on his own, and when I saw him again, he was at peace. And I said to him, is everything okay with you and God? And he said, yep. And what about everyone else? Yep. And it was a nice funeral. Because somebody... Ha but I, I th couldn't help thinking to myself there again, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Why wait until you're on your deathbed to make things right, to do the things you want to do, to do the things you know God is impressing you to do? Prioritising things. So I want to spend a minute just to focus us a little bit. If we're going to declutter, get rid of some of this stuff in our head, what I want to do is declutter a little bit spiritually. I'm reading through Philippians, right? This is a while ago now. Uh, I do this Bible reading program and anyway, I'm reading through Philippians and Paul says this, as he, as he embarks on, on Philippians. And it, it, it jumped out at me, for, and he says, he's writing to this church, right? And he's, here he is, the great apostle, he's the father, if you like, of the Christian church, perhaps he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. He's writing the church in Philippi, one of those be a nice place to visit and he says I want you to understand what really matters in other words I see him saying you know so you you got spiritually you got that much clutter going on in your head you you just need to to get rid of your suffocating you just need to get rid of some stuff and you need to focus on what it is that really matters. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may be pure and live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And I'm all ears now. I'm saying, Paul, tell me, what is it? And when you start reading through Philippians, there's only one thing that really matters to the, to the, the Apostle Paul. And if you're wanting to declutter spiritually and if you're just Maybe you've been on this spiritual journey for a long time and you're just getting tired of it and your head is full of all this stuff, all this religious jargon, all this should do this, shouldn't do that, should believe this, shouldn't believe that. Maybe you need to hear what Paul has to say. I want you to understand what really matters. And then on the other hand, you might be just starting this whole spiritual thing, your whole spiritual journey saying, well, I don't know where this is going to take us. I don't even know whether I want to be in on it. But maybe this is important for you too because it, you, need, you might as well know as you start out what it is that really matters. And Paul says, this is to the Corinthians, he says, God who said let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot in that verse, but what he's saying is that God has revealed himself to us. Christianity is a revealed faith. It's not something you sit under a tree and hum and it just comes to you. You can't do that. It's revealed to us and it's, Paul says, it's revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know what really matters? A couple of years ago in Townsville, this is any, anyone recognise? Some of you have been to Townsville. There's Castle Hill, right? So Castle Hill's this, this. Um, it's an exercise track. Let's say that because you go there early in the morning, late in the afternoon, and it seems like every man and his dog's there walking up the hill, or whatever. And I'm a cyclist, so. Uh, cycling's great in Townsville because of the big wide roads and good shoulders on the roads but there's no hills much 
So all the cyclists attack Castle Hill and they ride up and back down and up again. It's three k's to the top. It's a lot of fun. It uh, doesn't give you much breathing space. <laughs> you kind of run out of breath. Anyway, this particular morning, the, the, all the, 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 the place to be at sunrise was Castle Hill because a phenomenon, a phenomenon was going to happen in the, the skies and Castle Hill was supposed to be the best place to see it. There was going to be this total eclipse of the sun and every, every, everyone took up their vantage points and it was quite busy and I cycled up there and, and to the naked eye this is what you saw. Th it, there was this sort of this eerie kind of darkness came across the, the, the earth and the sun was covered by the moon. To the naked eye that's what you saw but when you look through those dark glasses which somebody standing next to me said it's not going to work with your sunnies on and I'm like, oh, I can still see it. and so she gave me these things and I looked through it and that's what I saw and then as we watched it pretty much disappeared from view and I know that spiritually If what Paul says is true, and it is, God said, let there be light in darkness. He has made this, made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I have seen it too often in church circles, religious communities, where there is this total eclipse of the sun. It becomes all about what you wear, what car you drive. It's kind of about what you eat, you know, whether you're a vegetarian or you're a vegan or you're a whatever. And Paul is saying, you know what? This is a stuffocation that's happening. You need to declutter, you need to get rid of some stuff and you need to understand what really matters. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. Uh, I love climbing hills, mountains, whatever. I, don't, don't, get, don't, get the wrong, I'm not a, don't get the wrong idea, I'm not a rock climber, I'm actually scared to death of heights. But if there's a formed path and you can climb it, I love to do it. And it does this for me, right? It... it it gives me this whole new perspective. How, like so many of you, you know, if, you, if you're out on a scenic lookout, you've got to take a photo, right? It's just the thing you've got to do. And, and when you hike up these things, it's like you're climbing and you're climbing and you're climbing and you, you finally, because when, when you're going through the, the, the trail, sometimes you can't see much at all covered in trees, there's a bit of a jungle and then when you get to the top there's this whole new panorama that opens up before you. And when, if you want to know what Paul says, I want to tell you what really matters, when you're climbing through the pages of this book, Scripture, because Christianity is a revealed religion, it doesn't come to you sitting under a tree. You need to be looking in this book and seeing the revelation of Jesus Christ in these pages. When you get to the top of the mountain, what does the view look like? 
Here's a few mountaintop experiences and views that I've taken over the years. This one's down in uh, southwest of WA, and this is called Castle Hill, interestingly enough. Um, was that right? Castle Rock, I think. Castle Hill in, in Townsville. But you'd look down to the canola fields and on a clear day, it's a really old photo, this is even, probably even before digital photos come, but anyway. And you could see all the way to the south coast, just this beautiful panorama. This is my home mountain, Mwilambar, so you, Mount Warning. And you climb up there, you trudge for oh, probably an hour and a half, two hours if you're a little bit slower, and you can see right out to the coast and there's Doughboy Mountain there and you see the rim of the, 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 uh, the crater. Um, I climbed to the top of, of this, this is called Table Mountain. Any South Africans here? So this is in Cape Town, South Africa. And my brother and I, we, we're hiking up this, it's quite a, quite a climb and the views are magnificent. You get to the top and you see this panorama spread out before you and it's just unbelievable. This one here is in, um, it's either in, I forget exactly, Wyoming, I think. It's in the US. And I sort of enjoyed the hike. Um, I say sort of because I was a little bit nervous the whole time because as you start out, there's this sign saying, in my words, whatever you do, don't go alone, hike in pairs because there's big bears around here. So I'm on my own. I'm thinking, oh, bears, I don't know about bears, but... We've got kangaroos at home and I think well, I should be okay. So, so I'm like, I'm hiking along and thinking any, day, any minute now there's going to be this big bear jump out of the bush and I'm going to go, ah, and take, I don't know, what am I supposed to do if a bear attacks me? Anyway, I get to the top, it was worth it, didn't see a bear and the views were spectacular, this whole panorama. You start getting, it's, it's this decluttering, you start to see things in a fresh perspective. This is the, um, this is one in Switzerland, that's the, the, I didn't climb up that, but <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, Edmund Hillary climbed that as a practice before he did um, Mount Everest. But the views were spectacular as I walked up this mountain trail. And in more recent years, um, I've become a mammal, you know, these middle-aged men in Lycra. And so instead of walking up hills, I find hills to climb on my bike. Uh, it was, it's hard to understand, but... It's kind of addictive, so the bigger the hill, the better it is. You get more exercise. So there we are. That was in, uh, in New Zealand. This one's also in New Zealand, um, near Picktown there. And this one's Alpe d'Huez, which is pretty famous in the Tour de France. Everyone, it's kind of an iconic climb you've got to do. So we've done that a few times. And the, you, it's a breathtaking thing, I tell you, in more ways than one. And uh, the view is out of this world. It is unbelievable. And this one's... Col du Galibier, and again, cycling up there takes the stuffing out of you. Uh, it's the highest pass in the French Alps, and, and there's my three girls. They're looking as fresh as daisies because they didn't ride their bikes up there, they just drove the car. <laughs> and we'll wait, we'll wait for you at the top, you'll be right. So, anyway, I'm coming to the point. I want you to understand what really matters. Innsbruck in Austria. So Ray and I go climbing up this mountain. They, oh, you get this great view, they said. And it was a shocking day. There was, it was clouded in. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was windy. And Ray was there trying to enjoy the 
they were, well, there was no view to enjoy, getting blown around, tossed and buffeted and, and yeah, busted the umbrella. She was having all sorts of trouble. <laughs> anyway, and she said, Raw, I'm over this. If you're going to keep going, you're on your own. So, and she went in. There's a little shelter. See the path going to the left there? She went in into that shelter. And I thought, I'm going to keep going. Not, not, real, not real optimistic about getting any view, but I'm going to get to the top of this thing. And so I did. And I kept going. And I'm like, eh, will I bother? And I'm just about at the top now. And the top is just there. And I take a few more steps and I see something appears before my eyes. And I walk up to it. And I thought to myself, initially I thought, you've walked all this way and that is all you see. This cross. And then it occurred to me, you know what? You're an ungrateful, bigoted sinner. And there I am, standing at the foot of this cross. And that's all I could see. And it reminded me of what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, For I decided while I was with you, I'd forget everything else. Declutter, get rid of all this junk. I'll get rid of everything. I want to know Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And when when Paul goes on in Philippians, that's from the book of Corinthians, which is another mob that he writes to, but he says this to the Philippians, I want you to know what really matters. And then he says, everything else was worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. There's that stuffocation thing going, get rid of it all. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as refuse, garbage so that I could gain Christ you want to know what really matters on a spiritual journey it's Christ and him crucified and that's it and I think to myself sometimes I don't know where you're at as I say you may be starting you may be well down the track you might be on the middle of this mountaintop climb when you get there, that's what you'll see. But there is this panorama that opens up before you when you start to, to, to experience and realise the promises that Christ has given us in his Son, this Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. Talk about decluttering. Come unto me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest it's my prayer this morning that we will understand what really matters stuffocation is not much fun but to declutter to just realize at the very heart of everything is a, is jesus christ him crucified 
and his invitation to us to come to him that we can have rest. May it be so as my prayer in his name. Amen.